Welcome to Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. This is where I help strong, capable women excavate the inner garbage in their life so they can become more confident and have more clarity on who they are and how they really want to be in the world. We have rich, juicy conversations about, yeah, you guessed it, empowerment, but also about radiating your brilliance and loving yourself more than you ever have in your life. And who doesn't want that? So join me now for another empowering chat. So we are riffing again, just as a reminder, on re-emergence. That's what Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell is talking about this year, re-emergence. And we are now entering the month of April, if you can believe it. And we chose, my team and I chose for this month, the word materialize. Now, when I was coming up to do this little intro thing, I was like, materialize, really? But with things that are occurring in the world right now, it's interesting what materialize actually means. So let me tell you, it means to come into perception or existence, to appear, to become actual or real, give material form to, to be realized or carried out, materialize. So it's interesting to me how we can actually individually come into a perceptible existence or appearance of whatever it is that we're choosing to focus on, right? Choosing to focus our attention on. So I am wanting to encourage you for the month of April to really focus on peace, beginning with yourself, inner peace, then community peace, and then global peace. But it has to start with you, focusing within, because you already, each of us, as divine sparks already have the seed of peace within us. We just have to focus on it. This is also part of reemergence. We have to focus on the peace within us in order to grow and develop it. And then we can share it with our community, with the world. So materialize. Hmm, interesting. And the shows we have for this month are going to support you in learning how to do more of that. So enjoy the show. So I'm, I'm already excited. I, I have chills. I'm, I'm going to have this conversation that I know is just going to be so juicy and fruitful with a woman that um, I, I saw her speak a, a while back and I just found her so open-hearted and compelling. Um, she is a journalist and she's also a boxer. So I want to welcome Alicia Doyle. She's the author of Fighting Chance. So thanks for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a huge honor. I kind of got my today. happy dance going right now because I, <laughs> right? I can't wait. As I was reading through your book, Alicia, uh, we come from the same uh, territory. I was... I was raised up in the San Fernando Valley in Northridge. And I should have gone to Chatsworth High, but I ended up going over the hill to a private uh, all-girls school. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and all of those different choices my parents made for me 
you know, totally changed the, the, my life. So I know in your, in your book, when you're talking about, and then you went to here and then you, I know a lot of those places because that's, that was my stomping ground, so to speak. Sure. You know? yeah. And, and you talk about the, um, the Silmar earthquake in 71. Holy yeah. moly, <laughs> moly. We had relatives in our house for, for a couple of weeks because we had, uh, we had people that lived in Silmar cousins that lived in Silmar and their house was devastated. So, you know, and, and of course, while they're in our house, whenever there was a tremor out the front, we got to where we just left the front door open because everybody had to run out to stand on the sidewalk. They were so scared. It was frightening. It was a frightening time. Yeah. Yeah. It was terrifying from what I understand. I was a baby. So I, and I was told I slept through it, which is kind of funny. Oh, well, that's, (laughs) <laughs> that's why we left. Um, that's why we left um, California for Colorado. I totally get it. Totally get it. It's uh, yeah. It's, it's living through <laughs> those uh, several of them now. Uh, for me, it, it's every time it's, it's like brand new. You know, and there's there's a, a trigger, a trauma trigger with that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So so a lot of this story fighting chance and you say it's based on a true story, which is kind of based on your life. Yes. Yes. Um, it's, it's was interesting to read through because <clears throat> you personally have, have, have overcome quite a bit of trauma from, from childhood and teenage years. There was a point where, where you were, suicidal. Um, I, I would imagine there's lots of people that have felt that. I mean, I'm raising my hand right now. I, I know I, I went through that, not at, at a teenager time frame, uh, much older, but going, okay, do I stay or do I go? Because it's rough. Yeah, that's a, that's a very hard place to be. Mm-hmm. And um, it took me a long time to figure out what that was really all about. You know, this idea, I want to kill myself. I want to kill myself. And I realized later it wasn't um, that myself that I wanted to kill. I wanted to kill the pain. Whatever was causing the pain, that's what I wanted to die, not myself. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to figure what that was about because, um, you know, of course, you know, being alive and being given the gift of life is a privilege and an honor. And, and here I was not wanting to live anymore. And so I really had to look at myself deeply in that. And then I did have a failed suicide attempt when I was around 12 or 13 years old. Um, and I remember waking up and realizing I had not succeeded, but also understanding that I was not supposed to succeed in that. I wasn't supposed to leave. I was supposed to get through those dark times. However, I was able to do so and get to the other side and the only way out was through. And that's um, a lot of the theme in my book. You know, the only way out is through these hard things that we think are going to take us to our knees or destroy us. Those are the things that we absolutely can get through. But um, yes, it was challenging. It was hard to get on the other side. Yeah. And and the idea of it taking us to our knees, I can't even tell you Mm -hmm. how many times I felt like I had scabs on my knees from mm-hmm. having to walk on my knees to get mm-hmm. through whatever whatever life issue trauma uh, circumstance that just felt so far beyond my control right yeah. right um and and thankfully i had a, a very strong you know foundation in god you know my 
my mother raised me, you know, with the Bible and the teachings of Jesus and God. We were a Methodist before we started with the um, metaphysical church when I was 12 years old. But I'm really grateful for that because it's that foundation of God that got me through it all. Mm-hmm. Well, was talking to God and asking for help and asking for strength and yeah, yeah, I hear you because I I really believe you know my personal philosophy is that um is that we're never alone and that there is such yes. a, an expansive I like to say source energy that um that that is always available if we put our attention there not. Yes not putting our attention on the circumstance that we want out of. I'm currently walking this right now in my personal life, everybody, the thing I don't want to be in. And yet the more I put my attention on it, the more miserable I become. Right. Yes, of course. And to move that attention in onto, uh, uh, well, it's like flipping it from anger and fear to love. And that's the thing, this whole pandemic hopefully is teaching people is not to be in fear of COVID going to get you or in fear of those people out there going to whatever, or the anger that it all brings up, but, but really doing the, um, the mirror side of it, which is to be love and to love ourselves first through that circumstance, through those, the uh so through whatever the trauma might feel like or the emotions might feel mm-hmm. like to love ourselves more um yeah absolutely it all started with self-love and that took me uh, decades to figure out that it, it all started with me and, and loving myself and then once I got to that place um you know things would unfold a lot easier because then I had enough to give away to others but it really it did start with me and if I wasn't in, and yeah when I realized wow I I don't love myself. Yes. Um, You know, my self-esteem is low. And then looking at just the facts of my life, my career, my job, you know, um, having good looking parents, being born with certain genetics, um, you know, one would think that um, I was happy and had everything. And and that was interesting as well. was like, wow, these people, they think I'm this, this person. They don't see this woman going home, crying her eyes out every night. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah praying for strength to get up the next day. Um, so I had to really look at that and ask myself, why, why don't I love myself when I knew God loved me, when I knew that and really just getting down, down to it. Like, and yes, um, peeling back those layers, looking at all the things in the past. It's like, okay, right. Well, you know, it would make sense that these things caused me to not love myself at all. But then I became an adult and I was like, okay, that stuff's over. So, and I'm still being triggered and it's still there. And I had to work through that in whatever way I could. And in, in, in some roundabout way, and I don't believe it was an accident. That's when boxing came into my life. That's when boxing found me. And uh, it was completely unexpected, but that was the beginning of me learning how to love myself. Boxing became my salvation. And I do believe that had boxing not come into my life, I probably wouldn't be here today. Yeah, I hear that. And and I remember uh, that you've said that uh, once you started, when you found that you were constantly dealing with your inner demons, whenever you would get in the ring of uh, uh, the fear of losing the fear of, uh, of all those things. So can you speak a bit about that? And, and how, because I think that, well, 
Sorry, Alicia. But I think that there are so many women, especially, and you got into boxing at a very, in the nineties, right? When Yeah. Yeah. And I was 28 years old, which is late for athletics. But at the time, there were only a few hundred women in America boxing at the time. There weren't that many of us. So you're, so you were part of that, uh, cutting edge or leading edge, the, the, a wave of women stepping into arenas that men had mostly dominated. And that right there would, I would bring me to my knees, you know? Mm. Um, Yeah, that was remarkable. And and I I was very, very lucky. And because when I, when I got into the sport and, you know, I was working as a reporter before I ever stepped in the ring or before I ever put on a pair of boxing gloves, I was reporting and doing stories on this boxing gym for Atlas and um, this was a, an assignment story I didn't even want to write initially because uh-huh. I used to view boxing as the dark side. I did. I, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And when this assignment was brought to me, um, initially I said, um, I'm going to give it to a sports writer. This is not the kind of story I write. Um, but the woman that called me to ask for coverage said, you don't understand the story. This is a boxing gym for at-risk youth. These are kids that are really troubled. They got a lot of challenges and and this is the place where they would go, where they would be loved and feel like they had a home and where they were loved unconditionally. Mm -hmm. Um, Now they have no, now they have nowhere to go. They're going to be running the streets, causing trouble, or they're going to be hurting themselves. So that just piqued my interest at rescue. I went on and then I went on assignment relatively to this boxing gym that had been destroyed um, by El Nino Reigns. That's why it was destroyed. This was back in the 80s or 90s. Um, and then when I met the man that owned the gym, the gentleman that owned the gym, Robert Ortiz, he was one of the nicest human beings I've ever met in my life. And I, I just couldn't ignore it. And um, once I met him and saw the size of his heart, it opened my, up my heart to just explore this world of boxing, this world that I saw was so violent and so dark. Um, it turned out to be one of the most beautiful things I had ever written about because of the children the lives he had changed, their parents, their caregivers, these coaches, all these amazing coaches and trainers that um, I I got the opportunity to meet. So that was really my introduction. But um, yeah, getting into the ring and fighting, you know, I I still have not put on a pair of boxing gloves. I had reported on that gym for over a year before I started boxing. And, And what actually got me in there that day was I had a really bad breakup with the guy. Um, who punched me in the face more than once with a closed fist. And uh, needless to say, I was pretty pretty angry about that. So the next day I went to the gym and because all I wanted to do was hit something as hard as I could over and over and over again. I was so angry that this guy hit me. I was angry at myself for allowing it. I was angry at myself for getting into this relationship to begin with. And yeah. that I had become this statistic. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to hit something as hard as I could. So I go into the gym, I put on some gloves and all I knew was that for that hour that I was hitting that bag, all those thoughts and all that pain and all that anger, it was gone. And the reason why was because that workout was so hard. I had no space in my head for anything else. And what was terrific was that hour of not thinking about the beating, being beaten, it was a respite. It was a respite from my pain, a respite from my own anger. But the minute I stopped hitting that bag, it all, it all came flooding back. So the next thing I know, I'm taking two or three of these classes back to back in a row, six days a week. That's how much anger I had inside. Right. Um, right. And then eventually, um, it just wasn't enough. The classes, it was aerobic boxing, no contact boxing. And because I was a female in that gym, 
in that boxing gym working as hard as I did, um, other coaches started to notice me. I stood out. And um, that's when a gentleman named Stan Ward approached me and he asked if I ever thought about competing. And I remember saying to him that it was something that I might have considered, but that nobody would take me seriously because I was a girl. And that's when he told me that women's boxing was just starting to get very big at the time. Um, he wanted to be my coach. And because of who he was in the boxing world, I agreed. And so that was my start. Wow. Wow. So, th so this, the, um, talking about all that unexpressed anger. So I would imagine that because it was so, there was so much, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm talking about me too, but, uh, that it wasn't just about that, that boyfriend beating you up. It was long-term, you know, going back oh, yeah. to why you were, yeah. you know, trying to decide, do I stay or do I go with suicide? That, that, you know, for, probably from childhood. And I, I, I'm thrilled that you went, it sounds like it was a positive, constructive way to express your anger. It absolutely was. And because it was physical, you know, um, it was such a fascinating process because the stronger my body became, of course, the stronger my mind became, but, um, you know, competition is a completely different um, level of intensity, but preparing for that. And yeah. So the boyfriend beating me up, that's what got me into the gym. It was just a catalyst to get me in the gym mm -hmm. because I believe that I would, that boxing was, was summoning me this beautiful world, this dark, this thing that I thought was so dark was going to be the brightest light in my life. And it was summoning me and it gave me a place to go where I could be physical. I would, and, and a nice side effect was I was getting in the best shape in my mm -hmm. whole life. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, competition, that was completely different because um, I'd say 90% mental. Getting in the boxing ring, fighting an opponent was, was more mental than physical. And my coaches had always told me that, but I didn't understand until I got in there for my first fight and lost horribly. And um, having to work through that and step in the ring again to get over the loss and, and do it again and again and again. And, um, you know, I ended up earning two Golden Gloves championship titles. Oh, my and, goodness. And my pro debut at age 30 was named the California Female Fight of the Year. Oh, my goodness, Alicia. So, Oh, my God. I'm so impressed with you. <laughs> I mean, truly, that's awfully kind. I, and it was, and I, I appreciate that. And I wouldn't have gone as far as I did. And I really looked at, and I have to give props to my coaches because these men never objectified me, never. And had that been going on, I would not have succeeded in that sport. Yeah, these these were not womanizing men. They were not like that at all. And I mean, I you know, I had my own ideas about boxing and the boxing world and those. And then I got in and I could not have been more wrong because these were the greatest gentlemen I'd ever met in my life. They were big brothers. They were father figures. They were marvelous. And um, but I had to go through a lot and, and every fight was a war for me. And of course, I liked winning fights, but those were wars, too. And eventually I got to a point where. <laughs> I didn't want to get I didn't want to get hurt anymore and I didn't want to hurt anybody else anymore. And that's when I retired. But getting to that point of realization for myself, that was a hard journey, too. Because when I boxed and only boxed for two years, I thought I found the cure for my depression. Mm -hmm. Because I was on cloud nine those two years. I, I, and I was, you know, this clean and sober environment 
where I was this amazing athlete. Everybody around me was an incredible athlete with wonderful minds. And I thought I found the cure for my depression. And I was a little high and mighty about it, that I found this cure for my sadness and my darkness and my depression. But the minute I retired, it all came back. And that was heartbreaking. Because here I was thinking I had solved it and solved the puzzle and fixed it. And it wasn't fixed. It was just a distraction. Boxing oh, was wow. so intense. It just distracted me for those two years. So the real work began when I retired because everything was torn down again. And that's when the real soul searching began. And so how did you deal with that then? Uh, if if you weren't in the competition, were you still going to the gym and boxing anyway? No, I wasn't. When I retired, I stepped away from the gym for a while. Um, one of the reasons being because after my profile, I gained 40 pounds in three months. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to go back to the gym because guys, you know, boxers are funny. You know, we, we, we give each other a lot of talk, you know, right. we would know if one of us gained a little weight, you know, it's just, we're funny that way, but I'm not going to walk in there 40 pounds heavier depressed as, you know, <laughs> um, so I just had to look at myself and, and I mean, I remember looking at my body in the mirror and, and realizing what I had done to myself. Nobody did it to me, but me. Right. Self, self-abuse with, uh, you know, obviously to, to eating too much. And, and why was I doing that to myself? Why did I tear myself down from this cloud nine and this, this championship boxer three, four months later? You know, so I had to really explore that. But it was just a lot of it was just being alone. Um. Those times when I was feeling suicidal, understanding that I knew I didn't want to kill myself. I wanted to kill the pain or whatever was hurting me. But I remember many, many times, and this still happens, um, where I'm, I'm, I just, uh, it feels like a cycle of hell. When yes. you have depression. So yes. I mean, I would, so what my, my whole thing, the way I would handle it, and this is, not something I would recommend because it's it's incredibly challenging, but I would, you know, not take anything. I wouldn't have a glass of wine. I mean, just completely stone sober and I would sit with that pain until it dissipated because I knew the only way out was through. Just like every fight I was in, the only way that I was going to get out of there was to finish that fight. The only way out was through. And so I would attack my depression spells the same way. And some of them would last six hours. And some of them would last two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. And when I was in a cycle of, of depression for three weeks straight, 21 days, that's, that's like rough. Yeah, that's a long And just crying. Um, but I also knew that it was only temporary. I knew that for sure, for an absolute fact, because nothing lasts forever. Everything is temporary. And I knew at some point it would break, that it would. And, and I would pray and talk to God the entire time for strength, for strength. And then one day, and then it would dissipate. and then. Everything's good. But, you know, it's, it's ebb and flow. These things come and go. I've gone through it numerous, several times during the pandemic, those mm-hmm. pits of depression. And I know what to do. I just, I have to feel it. I have to feel it. I cannot distract myself from anything. I have to go through it. The so, only way out is through. Uh, so has, and I so agree with you. I spent, I spent a majority of my life until I was 50 something avoiding my anger. Uh, I didn't find a punching bag, um, but I, I, I just didn't want to be that angry person. So instead of feeling it and expressing it, I hid it from myself inside my body. And when I finally began to face it, it broke out as hives. All wow. I had 
I had full wow. body hives yeah. for a year, Alicia. Wow. Oh and gosh. I would go to doctors and they're like, well, what did you touch? What did you eat? I said, this is emotional. And I recognized that it was rage coming out through my pores, right? Yes. And 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 I want to share these stories with every any any of the listeners because if you are not facing your pain, and it doesn't mean that you have to wallow in the pain, but you've got to at least acknowledge that that's how you're feeling instead of stuffing it with with food, alcohol, mm-hmm. distractions. Mm-hmm which we all have been taught to do, right? You have to be carefully taught how to do those things. And yeah, and I understand why society, you know, wants us, you know, and we're, we're constantly fed this stuff. And I used to buy into a lot of it too. And these people aren't wrong or evil. They just think that it might work. Um, but yeah, like um, I had to, and this was a big part of it. I had to learn to love that dark side. Oh my goodness. I had to love that dark side. The the especially and I call them and it's a, there's a part of my book I talk about the heartbreak pieces, you know, that we're all a puzzle. We're all this beautiful mosaic of a puzzle. But we all have these pieces that they're heartbreak pieces. These are pieces of the puzzle that we just want to throw away. We don't yes. want to stick them in there. We would just rather toss them out. But the thing is if we don't hold on to those pieces, the puzzle is not complete. And I had came to realize that if I didn't learn to love those heartbreak pieces and those dark pieces that I was, I was never going to move forward. Those dark pieces, all that stuff that happened to me, the stuff that almost broke me. That's what made me who I was. That's what makes me who I am. And if it wasn't for that stuff that almost destroyed me, I would never have been a champion in the boxing ring. I would have never been a, a great journalist. All those coping mechanisms and, and surviving all that trauma is what made me strong. And once I got to that point, and, and as hard as it was to look at those things, it not only it helped me forgive. It did help me to forgive. And I'm not going to lie and say I forgive everybody, and they'll have me. I'm still pretty angry. Still, I'm human. I am still working through some of it. But the dark pieces, the heartbreak pieces, I learned to love that part of myself because those are the most awesome pieces about myself and anybody out there too who is listening. Those pieces of yourself that you want to suppress or throw away, that's what you got to love because it's a part of you and it's what makes you who you are. And I love that analogy about wanting to throw the pieces away, but without those pieces, you're incomplete. That's that's a a wonderful analogy because, and I just walked through this myself. It's so interesting how people, I get to have these conversations and it often reflects what I've been walking through myself because I saw... Uh, I do a daily spiritual practice where I, I, I meditate and I drop in, I align with uh, what I choose to call a high frequency of love. And then I ask myself some questions, you know, like, what do I need to know or what, or, or I just claim I want to, I want to understand, or I ask my heart wisdom, you know, and just say, I'm listening. And these dark pockets within me have been opening up and and again, I, I've come, and of course, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little older than you, Alicia, but I, I've, oh, come, <laughs> I've come to this awareness that um, I have to love those pieces. Like you're talking yes. about, I have, I have to, I don't have to, I choose to love those pieces anyway. And it's not about discarding them, but it's about learning how to integrate them so that the whole person can be seen, right? And heard so that the whole person, Susan, can have 
a whole experience of life, not just, okay, today I'm happy, but uh, you know, so the pain comes up, the pain, the pain has to wash through and those dark pockets uh, I'm hearing, they almost need to be honored. Yeah, our, yeah. our our culture has gotten to where the things that don't look these, right? The things that don't look the same should be eradicated, right? The things, the people, hello, shouldn't be allowed across the border, blah, 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 right? But those are the things that make that those are those dark pockets of me. If I honor that within me, then I can honor anyone I meet and their, and their darkness, because it's like you said, it's just a piece. It's just, it is, it's a heartbreaking piece or pieces of who we are. And the, and the people that are, that can, can love beyond that, like you're saying, love yourself through it you become a healthier person. Did, have you found that those depression times have diminished enough? Yes, they diminish. Absolutely. Um, and now I'm like, I can feel it coming on. I can kind of detect what'll happen. Um, they're not, um, they don't last as long um, as they did before. Um, when it happens, yeah, I, I call it the circle of hell because it feels like it's full. Um, but I also know it's only temporary. And Something I do um, as well when, when I'm there, I'm in that place of, look, I don't want to be here anymore. I just, I'm going to check out. And um, and in that place of extreme vulnerability, I'll go to the mirror. And, and this is very hard sometimes. I will look in the mirror and in my own eyes and I will say, I love you. 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 It is really hard. It's really hard. I just... Uh, one of my um, students uh, sent me an article today. I can't remember what it was on, but it was about a man who was driving his kids to basketball practice. And he saw this, this person standing on the freeway over overlook. Right. And, and the man definitely knew he, this kid was suicidal. And so he pulled over, he had his daughter's call. He got out of the, his car and slowly approached. And he was asking spirit, you know, he's asking what, what do I do? And he heard loud and clear, you love. And he opened up his arms and he just loved this person. He'd never met. And the guy was sobbing on the, the freeway overpass and he just loved him. And he, uh, as he approached, he said, I love you, man. I love you. I never met the person, right? I love you. And that that arrested this individual from from committing suicide. He all of a sudden somebody was approaching him in an atmosphere of love, not asking questions. Why are you up there? What are you doing? Come on, get down. But I just love you. I see you and I love you. And I think that is like you looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I love you. It is the most, it is extremely vulnerable and it's the it, that's powerful medicine because we all just want to be seen right we all just want to be loved and if we have damage from our family of origin our childhood our uh you know teacher whatever we let's face it once you've lived in a few decades every you're walking around with a couple bags of damage right <laughs> But you can you can release a lot of that by facing it and and yes. and, and yes. self loving, not self medicating, yes. but self loving. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's really um, like, it's so I, I remember thinking like, wow, like this is so simple. Um, and, and I made it so hard, but it's really not that hard. It's, you know, it's just simple. And then, you know, and then looking in the mirror and saying, I love you. And then, you know, sometimes I'd be standing there for half an hour and I'd crying and saying it because I didn't believe what I was saying to myself, right. you know, and I had to ask, like, what is that? Because, and then it'd be like, God loves me. And I, that I know. And, and I, and I always known that I was never alone. So I, I do have that spiritual foundation. Thank goodness. Cause if I didn't, I don't know where I would be, but you know, it's just that. And then, you know, the, the upbringing and the spirituality, just understanding that we're never alone. But um, yes, when, when I'm, course everybody knows. when we're on point and we're happy or in a good mood like you know we're, we're better for everybody we're better in the world um, right I, yeah so you know I still go through it once in a while but it doesn't it doesn't feel quite as debilitating um and I know it's just I know it's part of being alive that's another thing it's part of being human it's normal it is it's part of the normal. human experience and 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 the the the, the um key to Moving through it, like you said, to go through it is to keep it simple and just teach yourself how to love even in the midst of that pain or the chaos of of what you're experiencing or the fear to love yourself through it because that's where our, our souls learn and grow and evolve. And I, I really believe that we're on planet Earth to learn and grow and evolve and not, and, and it's not, that's not a head game. It's a heart game. And that means loving and loving more than you ever have. Yes. And yeah, it's, and it's tough. That's not easy, but it is simple when you, when you get, okay, I'm feeling whatever I'm feeling anger, I'm feeling fear. And where am I not loving myself? That's a, that's a good investigation. Where am I not loving myself? Yeah, and then I've heard someplace somewhere um, that when you're in alignment, when you we are in alignment, mm-hmm. we're in alignment with everybody else, no matter where they're at. If we're in alignment, and I, th- I thought that was interesting. Joe Dispenza mentioned mm-hmm. that once, and I thought that's fascinating. And it's like, okay, of course it's true. That makes perfect sense. It, it, well, and it's true because we're energetic. Uh, we are electrical beings, you know, and 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 we're all connected. All of us, doesn't matter where we live on planet Earth, we're all connected. So, of course, the, 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 I wanted to say tightrope, the, the edge we've got to walk is, is being aware, A, we're all connected and not taking other people's garbage on board, but also finding that place within ourselves where we can love ourselves into that state of kindness and compassion for ourselves. If we can do that for ourselves, then that just radiates out. You know, everybody wants to be compassionate, but it you got to start with yourself. Everything starts at home. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. And you can sense the difference. You, you, we know these people. I mean, you're one of these people. You just sense like, okay, you know, that this is a light thing, a light work. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and that the light is, is always always going to overpower the darkness always you know and even if it's just that little light and that little light might be going into the bathroom looking in the mirror and saying i love you and looking in your own eyes and saying i love you and if you don't believe it you keep saying it until you do 
I just recently came to a, um, a really realization within myself, Alicia, about, you know, because, yeah, I, I'm, I am a light leader. I, I teach others how to lead from that point of light and love within them um, in, in whatever their life is. But um, my realization the other week, and I'm still kind of chewing on it, is um, when we talk about love, that, sound, that can be, I mean, when we talk about light. That can be kind of ephemeral, you know, how do I touch and feel it? You know, how do I, how do I experience it? And what I've been, what I'm beginning to realize is that the love, the energy of love, I'm rubbing my hands together, everybody, the energy of love <laughs> creates that friction, right? Uh, that, that uh, electrical connection that illuminates the light. So, so, so you, you, you don't ever think you can just go right up to light. Well, you can, I guess lots of people can, but in my experience, I got to love first and I got to love more and I got to love me. And the more I do that, the lighter my thoughts are, the lighter my experiences, the lighter I am when I'm interacting in the world. I, I'm not stuck in my head. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I think maybe it's activating the love within that then illumines and brings that light out further. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. You know, and you hear about these, um, these meditation groups, you know, that get together in certain parts of the world um, yeah. and they, they meditate for a few days. And then the next thing you know, that crime has diminished drastically in that area. You know, it's, it's not... Um, it's not some weird heebie-jeebie stuff. It's not, you know, energy, of course, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. It's based in quantum physics, you know, that it all goes out there. It can grow, it can expand or it retract depending on what the energy is. I mean, all that stuff makes perfect sense to me. And, and that's why um, I resonated to the, the metaphysics and the, the church my mom put me in when I was 12 because the other stuff just seemed kind of out there and weird. But metaphysics, it's based in science, yeah. So yeah. it's indisputable. And so then I thought, okay, that's interesting. And, and yes, my, my spiritual background, thanks to my mother, is what carried me through. Um, but I, I didn't want to be part of it when I was little. I was 12. I was, you know, defiant. Um, I remember taking in my classes, we learned how to read each other's auras, which when you think about it now, like how cool is that? But when I was a kid, I'm just like, I don't want to be here in this church with these weird kids reading each other's auras. You know, now it's like, now I'm glad that my mom taught me, you know. Um, but you, you carry these things, and and I resonate to that just because yes, the energy is absolutely true. Um, it's also kind of a double-edged sword because I know I know when my energy is poisoned. I know it because I can feel it. I'm in my own body. I feel it, and I I call it toxic toxic yeah. energy. Yeah. And um and I also I try to put myself in check or or just literally not be around people because I don't want to infect them with my toxic energy. Um, you know, because of COVID and the isolation, you know, it's not hard to, to just isolate when I'm in a bad mood because I don't want to break, put somebody else in a bad mood just because I'm feeling crappy. Um, that's not right. So I, you know, I will get myself in check. Um, sometimes it takes a few hours. Sometimes it can take a few weeks, um, however long it takes. But what's, what's been amazing about the pandemic and the isolation, it, it has given me even more time to explore the spirituality and getting through these things when you're forced to stay at home, especially in 2020, we really couldn't leave. Then you're really stuck with yourself, right? 
Right. Um, and your own thoughts and your own thought process. Um, but when it comes to the surface, then you can be like, okay, that's interesting. Next. Yeah. You know, oh, th- thank you for reminding me of that thing that happened when I was four. Next. Yeah. You know, rather it's like, oh my God, rather than letting me suck me down into no, you know, endless, you know, hell. Now I can, because the slideshow will continue. It doesn't just disappear. Right. I get slideshow. Remember when that happened? Like that was really messed up. Remember this? Remember this? And this is stuff we're talking four decades ago. Uh, yep, so yep. When, when it comes up and I'm, I'm, when I'm in a strong place and I'm still training my mind to do this, it's something that I have to create as a habit. So then it becomes automatic. It doesn't mean it stops. So now when it comes up, it's like, okay, thank you for sharing. Right. Thank you for sharing. You know, that's over. And it's good that you're noticing. It's good that you're noticing and allowing those pieces, those broken pieces to just kind of move through. It doesn't, you don't have to go down the rabbit hole with each piece. And lots, Correct. Of, people, lots of people think that you do. Yeah. Um, and when I'm feeling strong, I don't go down the rabbit hole. I can't, I don't always, I cannot always avoid it. Yeah, I'm, yeah, just being, yeah. I'm just being completely honest. You know, it's not yeah. like, I, like every time. No, like it happened just last week. I was like, wow, what, you know, then why did you remind me of that? I talked to God. Why did you remind me of that? But then it's just like, okay, this is good practice. Yeah. I, I just was in the it. rabbit hole last night, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I, I'm like, so why am I doing this to myself? You know? And, and it, so part of it for me is, and I noticed this, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but I got to get to the end of the conversation. You know, I got to get to the end of the possibility of the scary thing that might happen that I don't want to happen, that I can't control, but wish I could, you know. And then once I get there and I go, well, you can't do anything about it. I can let it go. But for whatever reason, my mind, that's because our minds are so strong and, and we've been taught to default towards that as opposed to towards the wisdom of the heart where I believe uh, ancient wisdom resides and divine wisdom resides and truth resides in our heart, not our head. But sometimes you got to do that. We've, we've got to look at it and participate for whatever reason. Sure. And you know, whatever coping mechanisms work for each person and every, every person is very, very different. And uh, you know, there's a lot of help out there. Um, you know, a lot of people are going through depression and I think it's part of the human condition. You know, it's been labeled as a mental illness. Well, then we're all mentally ill because I don't know one human being on the planet who's never been depressed or had a bad day or been in a bad mood. It's part of the human condition. Yeah. And it's, it's about just, learning how to balance the condition as opposed to, because, you know, in metaphysics, you know, uh, several couple decades ago, uh, the, people would just affirm that it's all good, meaning the the dark side is all good too. I want to just I want to smack those people. It's not all good, especially when you're experiencing the crap. It's like no, it's not all good. But that the 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 more I investigated my spiritual connection and practice, I realized it's not all good. Like you were saying, those those the darkness within isn't always all good. We can learn from it. We can embrace it. We can begin to learn how to live with it, but it's not all good. And and when somebody says, oh, it's all good. You know, I just had a shitty day. It's all good. Oh my, I don't know. It just makes me, it, it makes me wonder if they are actually conscious and awake. That's interesting. Because 
it's almost like a, you know, it's a spiritual band-aid. Oh, it's all good. I'll just, you know, like affirmations. Oh, I'll just, you know, the post-it notes, I'm putting them on my head, everybody. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and I have, I have affirmations everywhere. I have them on post-it notes everywhere. I, in, I created an inspirational card deck of affirmations I worked that are, that are really wonderful, but it's not to do the affirmation so we can bypass the experience. Like you've been talking about Alicia of facing the pain of looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I love you. Those are the experiences we are meant to have here on earth. Absolutely. The only way out is through. Yeah. The only way out is through. That's why I sit with it. That's why I sit with that that hurt. Oh, I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, it's just sitting there. And I mean, I'll have the TV on, but then I'll, but I'm not watching it. I might be looking at it, but I'm not watching it. And I'll just be sitting there. And then the next thing I know, three hours have passed where I've been sitting in this position. But, and then I'll say to myself, oh, you still feel, and then I beat myself up for not feeling better three hours later. And that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. We got to be gentle with ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's another thing gentle with ourselves be gentle with ourselves so i don't yell i try not to yell at myself anymore because i'm already feeling bad i don't say okay get out of it you know what something else i don't think is is productive at all is snap out of it or snap out of it or it's just in your head well then it's valid if it's in somebody's head then it's valid because that's a human being and look that is their mind and they're hurting that is valid whether we think it's shouldn't be they shouldn't be upset or not that's not our decision so honoring other people like that and honoring ourselves mm-hmm. being being the parent to ourselves okay so if your little child is crying a good parent or a good guardian or a good caregiver would embrace that child and hold that child and say everything's gonna be okay mm-hmm. everything's gonna be okay we love you we love you everything's gonna be okay we gotta do that for ourselves yeah, yeah. We got to do it for ourselves and honor when we're upset and honor it and own it. Be like, I'm upset about this and it's okay. It's okay because I'm upset. Don't let anybody brainwash you into thinking that you have no reason to be upset. That's none of their business. If you're upset, it's valid. Yeah. And then go and then go from there. And then once you then you then you love yourself. Yep. You love yourself. It's gonna be okay. Be gentle with yourself. Yeah. My mom used to tell me I was. Um, I would take things so seriously. I was too sensitive, you know, which was basically telling me what you just, what you just said. It's it's all in your head. It's not, you you know, it's not worth it. Don't, or whatever. Instead of just listening and loving me a little bit more on that particular day in that particular moment, because that's, that's what I needed. I, I think you're so right on about that being gentle with ourselves and loving ourselves. And, and that's a, that's actually very powerful medicine. Yeah, well, you did, what you just described is a form of psychological abuse. And my mom said those things to me as well. But I also understood much later in my life that my mom was taught a certain way as well. Right. My mom was only doing what she knew how to do. And it was something that I had to, to figure out for myself. But when you say to somebody, why do you feel that way? I mean, yeah, it's like you're basically telling them that who they are and everything they are inside is wrong. Right. And that is shattering. Yes. It's shattering and it's devastating to somebody who's really hurting. When you're like, oh, just get that. It's just get over it. It's not that big of a deal. You're, you're hurting that person further by saying those things. And it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it is psychological 
traumatizing. It's, it's shaming. It's shaming yes, somebody it's- for feeling the way they feel instead of just being present with that person, yeah. Yeah. allowing them to feel what they feel. And then lovingly, gently, it, when we apply it to ourselves, yes. guide them through it. Right. Yes. Yes. And it's something, you know, some, there's some really amazing human beings that know how to do that. And the fact that they exist tells me that it's possible. I mean, you know, Jesus was a guy and, you know, he, he showed a lot of what was possible, but you know, even you, sometimes when I'm, my heart is breaking, I, I talk to Kim, I talk to God a lot. Like he's a buddy of mine. And I'll be like, you know, when I'm really angry, I'll say to God, did Jesus ever get angry? And then my answer is, of course he got angry. He was human. Of course he did. When he walked into that temple and started throwing it, he was, he was livid. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, okay, Jesus got angry. And then I was like, did Jesus ever cry? Of course he cried. Jesus, did his heart ever break? Of course it broke. All yeah. the time. And he still kept going and he still kept being kind. And I, I would imagine know. he experienced depression many times over. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, over and over again. And then being, by being betrayed by his buddies and... You know, I'm, but you know, but he never stopped, and that gives me a lot of strength. I, I go to him and I think about him a lot. I reflect on him, and, and um, but yeah, I mean, the, the human condition, the human journey—it's, it's, it's remarkable and amazing, and and painful and beautiful and ugly and exciting, all at the same time. You know, and and it's like, and we were we we're all here for a reason. I know that for a fact. We are all here for a reason. Otherwise, and you know, I know that because, because you're here. Yes. Yeah. That's why I know you're here for a reason. I'm your reason because I'm here. Yeah. 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 We, we serve a place and a purpose and, and, and God and whatever loves us. Mm-hmm. You know, I absolutely um, agree with you. Yeah. And we do have free will. Yes, we have free will. If we ask God for answers or universe for answers, you know, God will give us answers and show us stuff, but we still have free will. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then we might make a choice with certain results that are undesirable. All that means is we make another choice. It's not the end of the world. It's like, okay, this choice brought up, brought this result. It doesn't like that result. So I'm going to make a different choice. But we got to stop beating ourselves up for that, too, for our choices when they turn out bad. No choice is bad. No decision is bad. I do not believe in regret for anything. I don't regret anything because every decision I ever made led me to where I am now. And I, I think that my advice to everybody out there, please don't regret anything. Love everyone, every decision you made, even if it brought an undesirable result. It, you know, it brought you to another place of understanding and you did learn something. Yeah, I, so, I totally agree with you. So Alicia, this is, you're so passionate. You're, you're like my peep. You know, you're my, because <laughs> I'm passionate. So we could just go on and on and on for I, I, uh, a long oh time. Gosh. It's been an hour. I can't. I know, but so maybe we maybe you come back and we continue this conversation because I I think for people that are listening, some of the things you've talked about today about about the the broken heartbroken pieces of yourself and not throwing those away so that your puzzle can be complete and and going through the pain because that's the only way to get beyond it and facing yourself and loving yourself. These are, these are spectacular things because these are the learnings of what you learned in your life. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to have met you. It's, I'm so grateful that you wrote this book, Fighting Chance, 
I, you know, I, I think everybody should get it and read it just because it, 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 it explains so much of your personal journey. That's really, uh, becoming, which has always been very light filled, I think, Alicia. So thank you so much for being who you are and, and continuing on and, and, you know, bringing inspiration, especially to the, the at-risk youth that you have been working with. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Susan, for just for giving me an opportunity to, to share this with you and I hope it um, helps it helps some people out there and I want them to know they're not alone. Nobody's yeah. alone, even if you feel you are, you're not. And um, you know, everybody's perfect. You're perfect exactly how you are. Exactly. There's nothing to fix. Nothing exactly. to fix. So is there a website or something if people wanna um find out more about you or or the work that you're doing? Yes, absolutely. I invite people to visit my website. It's really easy, AliciaDoyle.com. AliciaDoyle.com. And if you have any questions for me or if you just want to chat or you need some, some moral support, um, you can send me an email through my website at AliciaDoyle.com. Um, I respond very quickly. But the best thing about Fighting Chance are the, are the dialogues and the emails I get from the complete strangers. I love those communications about how it helped them. And, and, and I believe that, um, that this was given to me for a reason. And the mm-hmm. book, I was supposed to write this book because Fighting Chance, it only took me two decades to write that book. Because <laughs> I'm I'm 51 years old now. I retired from boxing when I was 30. So and it came out two decades later, in in um 2020, right before the pandemic hit. And when that happened, I knew that that's exactly the time it was supposed to come out. And that's exactly. That took two decades. Exactly. So, exactly. Well, thank you again for for spending time with me and our our listeners and i look forward to our next conversation some point in the, in the near future near future i'd love like, that i'd love that and um yeah i mean if we can make it so people can even chime in with questions because i love answering questions i love talking about this stuff thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about this because i'm so passionate about it but like you know you can't talk like this with, with everybody right as you I know right i so hear thank you, you. Yeah. thank you for that <laughs> So I'm just going to end today with, and so it is, namaste. Well, that wraps up our empowering chat today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, go to susanburrell.com. You can see all the information about my new book, Live an Empowered Life, a 30-Day Journey. You can also access guided meditations that I have on Insight Timer through the website and just see what else is out there on my site that you might find empowering and exciting to experience. You can also contact me through the website at susan at susanborell.com. That's it for today. See you next time.